Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our, Our teaching team, team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion. To which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to, to expand, expand in faith, faith hope, and love. hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because, because they, they anchor us in something, something which can, can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we exist to join god's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us everywhere we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching we hope you enjoy this week's teaching uh, romans 5 12 to 19 first nations version here is another way to see what i am saying red clay adam was the first human being to fail to live the life he was created for. His broken ways brought death to all who followed in his footsteps, for death comes from following bad hearts and broken ways. These broken ways were already at work in the world, even before our tribal law was given. But where there is no law, no one can be guilty of breaking it. Even so, death still came to all who lived from red clay to drawn from the water, who gave us the law. Yes, death ruled over all who walked in broken ways, even over the ones who did not fail in the same way red clay failed. But as we will see, red clay was in many ways like the ones who would come later, the chosen one, like the one who would come later, the chosen one but not in all ways, for the false step of red clay cannot be compared with the gift of Creator's great kindness shown to us in the Chosen One. If one man's failure brought death to human beings, then how much more will Creator's great kindness, gifted to us through the goodwill of one man, Creator sets free, the Chosen One, overflow to all with new life? Here is another way to see it. Red clay's one failure was repeated over and over again, bringing guilt and shame to all who followed in his footsteps. But the gift of Creator's great kindness overcame those many failures and gave human beings a path to good standing with him once again. If death overcame all human beings because of the wrongdoing of one man, then how much greater will it be for the ones who receive this gift of good standing and overflowing kindness? I will tell you, through Creator Sets Free, the Chosen One, they will guide others with the wisdom and honor of a chief as they walk this road of life. And if the false steps of one man led to guilt and shame for all human beings, then another man's true and firm steps will bring life and good standing to all human beings. Again, if one man who followed his bad heart passed it on to many others, then one man who walks with a good and upright heart will pass on that good heart to many others. The word of the Lord. Perhaps. Hello, hello. Okay. 
Sorry, I've never worn this particular thang. So, pardon me if it messes up. Thank you for reading such a long passage, Jane. Everyone give it up for Jane. Thank you. Boy, I sure, I sure picked a doozy of a passage today, didn't I, folks? Well, for those of you who don't know me, if you're watching online, uh, I'm Will. I'm the worship coordinator here at Genesis, and I'm a community member. I don't often preach. In fact, the last sermon I preached was probably like five or six years ago. So this is fun. I like doing this. So let's, let's dig in, shall we? In Taylor Swift's song, Antihero, <laughs> she makes an incredibly relatable and stunning confession for a celebrity to make. Say it with me if you know it. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. What? <laughs> One of the most famous people in I end up in crisis, and that's going to make you leave me one day, and life will lose all meaning. Hashtag relatable content. In the chorus, she goes on to say, I'll stare directly at the sun, but never in the mirror. I'd rather damage my eyesight than face myself. It's an incredibly poppy and catchy tune, but the lyrics are very dour once you dig in. She closes her chorus with the line, it must be exhausting always rooting for the anti-hero. Don't you, my fans, the people who adore me, don't you get tired of rooting for me? And underneath that question, you can almost hear a confession. If you're exhausted rooting for me, imagine how I feel. With these lyrics on my mind, today's scripture portion, and a myriad amount of current events, I turn to you, my beloved community, and ask a tender question. Isn't it exhausting always rooting for humanity? Don't you get tired of seeing the latest headline, the latest post in your feed, the latest piece of personal news, and having to muster up some kind of courage, some kind of fiber or fortitude to journey forward and believe in yourself and your fellow human beings? I know I'm exhausted. And maybe you're not feeling that, that sting or that ache right now. That's totally fine. But I would, I would bet money that in the past three years you've felt that at some point. That exhaustion, that grief. And I don't point out these questions and sensations to be a downer and say, well, let, let's give up on this being human project in God's good world. Let's give up on participating in God's kingdom. No. Rather, I'm trying to practice in this sermon the art of naming things so that they can be healed. Uncovering that which has been covered in the presence of the God who is love and God's beloved community. What our broader Christian tradition calls confession, repentance. Now I'll start by confessing to you that in this scripture portion, Paul, or small man, as the First Nations version calls him, it's true. He's not, <laughs> isn't that great? He isn't talking about confession or repentance in this passage. So how do we get from this scripture passage to confession and repentance. Well, by way of the temptation of and the humanity of Jesus. Thank you, lectionary. But first, Romans. Let's dig into Romans. 
I asked an all-play question earlier this week on Facebook about your relationship with the Book of Romans, and I got some really insightful and honest responses. Firstly, a conviction that Paul took the Jesus movement in the wrong direction and that he has a tendency to talk himself in circles. Second, that there's some real high points of beauty in this text, but it mostly feels like a really heady argument. And third, some sadness that it's a book that's often used like a weapon. For our first all-play question together today, and all-play questions are designed to hear the voice of the chorus, not just the soloist, I want you to take your existing relationship with the book of Romans and set it side-by-side with the First Nations Version translation that we heard today. What do you notice? Nate says the First Nation version seems more understandable, more relatable. I find them a little more open to texts because it feels, I don't know, a little more grounded in a way that I think I usually put like a barrier on mm. the call. So. Yeah, Kara says she's more open to the text. It's more relatable and that there's usually a barrier when she's reading Paul and it seems a little more to take that barrier down. Yeah. Yeah, Kara notes how embodied it feels with naming of creator, red clay. I'd add like broken steps, broken paths. It's not it's not these big words of sin <laughs> that can sometimes so easily bog us down. Anyone else? What do you notice? Well, I picked the First Nations version of this portion because for me, it did kind of get me closer to what reading this for the first time might have felt like. I'm sure I heard this passage for the first time, like when I was a kid in church. And it's kind of one of those passages that's in my bones. And for so many of us, we've heard Romans so many times, and it sounds so forensic, so judicial, so off-putting, and for some even triggering, that we've lost the liberation for actually fully enfleshed human beings that's in this text. And this translation has that tone of being written to a real community of people, like Kara was saying, on the ground. In the book of Romans, can be so intellectualized, so theologized, so, so gushed over and poured over by great thinkers that we forget that there are real humans on both sides of this letter. Paul didn't write this letter as his, this is my theological summary of the gospel. He wrote it to people, and he's a person. So let's briefly contextualize Romans. Paul is writing in the 50s CE to a church of majority Gentile Christians whose Jewish Christian members had only just returned to Rome after the Edict of Claudius had expelled them. The edict only had just lifted when Emperor Claudius had died. So you've got a group of majority Gentile Christians, the people who Paul feels particularly called, to, called by God to minister to, 
who don't really resonate with Israel's history or Torah and how those all connect to Jesus. They're just really compelled by this Jesus story. And you have a minority group of Jewish Christians who have been victims of political violence, who are refugees, returning to their home and faith community, who were likely kicked out of Rome because of how strongly they had been arguing for Jesus' connection to Torah, Israel's history and themes. To share the good news, Paul has to contextualize and universalize this very important yet particular story of Israel in order to witness to Gentile Christians and also honor the Jewish Christians in their midst. And solve the very real and relational and practical problems that come when your community loses a bunch of people and then they come back. <laughs> He's got to be particular and universal. Oh, and to top it off, as he blesses them, he wants to be blessed by them. He wants to use Rome as a mission base to head west to Spain. So not only does he need to share the good news that meets everyone where they are and brings peace to their community, he's got to do it in such a way that they like him enough to presumably house him and bless him financially for the road ahead to Spain. I think these very human realities help us understand why this letter can at times feel very scattered and interrupted even. Paul interrupting his own thoughts. He's realizing objections in real time as he's dictating this letter. He's saying to his, his scribe, Tertius, da -da 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 oh, but what if they say this? Okay, um, I have to say this uh, in addition to that. That's why the letter can feel choppy. He's a very real man with real people, real problems, trying to thread a very thin needle. And this context makes sense of the themes of the letter and what we see in today's portion. How the good news of Jesus flows from a particular stream, but its flow is universal. And before we go any further, I do need to acknowledge that today's portion from Romans is a bit of a heavy hitter when it comes to church history and theology. Romans 5.12 is where Augustine set his sights on outlining his understanding of original sin. And while we're not getting into that today, suffice it to say that even before Augustine, but especially after, verse 12 has been combed over, toiled over, tussled over by the greatest thinkers in church history. And then there's verses five, chapter 5, verses 18 through 21, which serve as one of the battlegrounds for theological debate regarding universal reconciliation or the Will God save everyone in the end? Question. And no, we're not getting into that today either. <laughs> but I need to note that when we sit face to face with this portion, we are sitting face to face with mountain peaks on both ends that have been traversed every which direction and claimed by various thinkers and movements throughout history. Those mountain peaks are there. But the peaks themselves and claiming them and solving the problems within them are not the point of this text. Original sin and universal reconciliation are two very important and necessary theological conversations that emerge from studying this text. But they're not why it exists. These two theological debates are not why Paul found it worthwhile to dictate this letter. 
why Tertius wrote down Paul's thought, why Phoebe delivered and interpreted the letter, and why the church in Rome found it so significant to keep it around, and why we are reading this letter 2,000 years later, and why the church has kept it and kept reading it. It's certainly not to settle these theological debates. That's not why those things happen. So let's take a look at these peaks, verse 12 and verses 18 and 19. Well, like Taylor Swift 2,000 years later, Paul writes some hashtag relatable content in verse 12. <laughs> Here's another way to see what I'm saying. Red Clay was the first human being to fail to live the life he was created for. His broken ways brought death to all who followed in his footsteps, for death comes from following bad hearts and broken ways. Failing to live the life you're created for. Relatable. Death, following bad hearts and broken ways. Relatable. I've been there, pal. However, my failures and broken ways at least don't bring death onto the whole creation entirely throughout history. So, sorry to this man, Red Clay, Adam. And here we are, teetering on the original sin discussion. But what matters most is not whether everyone sinned when Adam sinned or when everyone became sinful when Adam sinned, and if so, how that happened and by what mechanism, and if all of humanity was inside Adam's loins, like Origen argues. No, what matters is that Paul is lumping all human sin together, collectively, to say we have all felt the sting of death, we have all felt uh, wrong being done to us. We have all done wrong. We have all witnessed wrong. It's universal. It is a fact. Sin has spread throughout the whole human race, and every individual has contributed to the lump sum. Every individual has lived under the reign of sin. This lumping all sin together in one man, red clay, serves a rhetorical purpose for the payoff in verses 17 through 19. If death overcame all human beings because of the wrongdoing of one man, all of that collective sin from the result of one man, then how much greater will it be for the ones who receive this gift of good standing and overflowing kindness? I will tell you, through Creator sets free the chosen one, they will guide others with the wisdom and honor of a chief as they walk this road of life. And if the false steps of one man led to guilt and shame for all human beings, then another man's true and firm steps will bring life and good standing to all human beings. One man brings a kingdom of death to everyone, juxtaposed with one man, creator sets free, the chosen one, who brings a reign of life to all human beings. The point here is not original sin or will everyone be saved. It's juxtaposing those two ideas, that one man brings death to everyone. We've all experienced it. And in this one man, Jesus, there's life. He's deliberately comparing the, the two men to each other. And we can quibble over why Paul uses all in some spots and many in other spots. But the North Star is, here's a universal problem from as told through Israel's story. Remember, Paul's dealing with that delicate th needle to thread, the universal and the particular. Here's a universal problem told from Israel's story. And here's the universal solution told from Israel's story to you, the church in Rome, the particular people. 
where death has reigned, where false steps and bad hearts reign. There are good hearts, firm steps, and good standing in the reign of creator sets free. What good news. And I need that good news this week. I need to know that all of humanity has a shot at good hearts, firm steps, and good standing. I need to know that we, Genesis, have a shot at that. I need to know that's available to me, Will Lee. Because I'm exhausted rooting for red clay. For us, for me. Isn't it exhausting seeing false step after false step, broken way after broken way, paved over by powerful people? Some current events that have come across my life, my timeline, my feed, that have made me all manner of jumbled up and sad this week include the chemical spill in Palestine, Ohio, the weaponization of queer identity, and a far-right attempt to intrinsically link queer identity with pedophilia, the roof depot site potentially being demolished by the city of Minneapolis, creating an arsenic plume and further damaging one of the most racially diverse and economically disadvantaged neighborhoods in Minnesota. All of this after declaring that racism is a public health emergency. The reports this week from CARE 11 about how many children have been put into solitary confinement by Minnesota youth correctional facilities. The New York Times report about how unaccompanied migrant children are being exploited by their sponsors and large corporations. These piss me off. <laughs> and I'm tired. And for all of these current events, it's not just something I can point a finger at someone else for. These are collective systemic issues that strike at the heart of our common life together. Creation care, supporting sexual and gender minorities, environmental racism, the juvenile justice system, immigration policy. I can't simply say, not my problem. I can't simply say, not my kid. I can't simply say, well, my political party caused that issue, so I'm going to pretend like it doesn't exist. Or I can't simply say, my political party leaders are ignoring that issue, so I'm also going to ignore it. Broken ways of red clay bringing death to all. Now what I'm not saying is get more partisan. Throw yourself into your preferred political team's machine and grind, 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 grind until these issues get solved. Be more mad. Let your team's talking points rile you up until you explode at somebody. Emphatically, no, that's not what I want you to do. But what I am saying is that the broken ways and false steps of our common life together, those broken ways need the good hearts, firm standing, and good steps of Jesus and Jesus' people. And maybe you felt like I do, that I don't know how to get there. I don't know most days lately how to get from false step to good step. I don't know how to get from shame to good standing. I don't know how to get from confessing I'm exhausted for rooting to humanity to let's join God's work of new beginnings. And I suppose this initial confession is step number one. But where do I go next? Well, I have to sit with the weight of all these injustices, and look at my own ordinary life. 
my life teaming this week with e-learning and playing video games and board games with my kid. My ordinary, I've had a cold and this is maybe a sinus infection for over 10 days now and the laundry isn't getting folded and the dishes are piling up. Life, that life. So I'm going to be honest and say it doesn't feel like there's much that I can do. But what if that's the point? What if, in the spirit of Lent, in the spirit of our series of of seeking and asking honest questions before God, what if in the overwhelming weight of injustice, I don't just turn myself off, but I tune in to God with all that I am and all that I have? One of our artworks today is called Tune In. It depicts Jesus in the wilderness from our Matthew 4 portion. I really adore this piece for how it captures Jesus' serenity of relationship with his Abba. He's so secure. And since Jesus was fully human during this 40-day period in the wilderness, I'm certain he was tuning into the other persons of the Trinity. And in doing so, he brought his whole self. Over 40 days, he no doubt had laments, grief, longing, individual and communal. And he brought it all into the community of divine love's presence. So looking at Jesus and his temptation, what if the way forward towards participation in God's mission towards firm steps, good standing. What if the way forward is not soldiering forward, but slow down, tune in? What if confession or repentance don't have to be these massive weights that we carry? What if we saw them as a means to turn, to slow down, to tune in? Given all that's wrong in the world and all the ways I'm exhausted, I think there's real legitimate reason for me to lament and grieve and be sad so that through the sadness, I might reach God's heartbeat for the world. In weeping over my city, my queer siblings, all of our children, my own ordinary life, maybe my tears are the water for the soil of God's good garden. And maybe, just maybe, I can begin to see what God is doing as shoots spring up from the ground if I spend long enough time weeping in that garden. Lamenting, grieving, and repenting, and confessing, and raising your fist at God, and telling God you've given up, they're not the opposite of restoration. Yes, they're slow. Yes, they're inconvenient. Yes, they're often tedious but isn't that how Jesus describes his kingdom sometimes? Like someone baking bread, a famously quick and easy process, I'm told, right? Or someone selling all they have to buy a treasure in a field. Massively inconvenient. Blessed are those who mourn. When your grief and anger and sadness put you last, God will put you first. We don't get to restoration by avoiding our grief, pain, and lament. 
Restoration is one of the fruits of God's good garden, and lament and all manner of turning towards God is one of her best tools for watering, sowing seed, laying mulch, pruning, and pulling weeds to get to the fruit. And there's even more good news. Our turnings toward God, our tuning in like Jesus, isn't the end of the story. In Jesus' tuned-in life, ministry, death, and the power of God raising him from the dead, God took the mask off of the cosmic power of death and the earthly power of empire and oppression. They don't win. We don't have to be stuck at longing, at turning, at grief, at lament. And this isn't some pie in the sky, it's all going to be all right in the sweet by and by. Absolutely not. I wouldn't give that to you. And neither does Paul. Verse 17, if because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man. And throughout the rest of the letter, the implications of Jesus being justified and resurrected are earthly implications, not merely heavenly ones. Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, it's all about, okay, Jesus was raised from the dead and justified by God. What does that mean for you people right here, right now? Jesus mocking death, mocking imperial power, and taking their mask off means we have a cosmic companion in all of our strivings in all of our ordinariness, in all of the injustice, in all that's gone wrong, we have cosmic companionship. Thank you, Dr. King, for that one, cosmic companionship. Jürgen Moltmann says, I know there is someone waiting for me who will not give me up, who goes ahead of me, who lifts me up, someone to whom I am important. In the words of the First Nation version, Creator sets free is passing his good heart onto us that we might walk in his steps. It's not my effort alone. It's not just me. It's us, Genesis, before God, with all of our grief, all of our repentance, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our longing, all of our lament, saying, here we are, God, all we are and all that we have. These are our lives. Here it is. They're complicated. Here we are. And as we share that with God, she begins to pass her good heart on to us and touch us with tenderness and care like a good mama that says, it's okay. I see your pain. I see your wound, child. I feel your pain. Come here, my dear. Tell mama all about it. And she does that with us as individuals and as a collective. And as we do that again and again, as we turn daily, weekly, we find ourselves buoyed along by the mighty and gentle Holy Spirit. And we watch Jesus take steps before us, and we ever so timidly place our steps in his sandal footprints. And we get covered in the dust of our rabbi. And we're going where he wants us to go. And we're doing the things he wants us to do. And we're remembering we're not the master builder. We're the hired hand. We're not the Messiah. We're a minister. We're not the great physician. We're nurses. 
and we're set free to keep following his footsteps along the way, doing what is ours to do, not carrying the weight of the world. Because we took all that we are and all that we have to our good Abba, and we tuned Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscove.org.